You are parents and God gave you those children. They look like you. They act like you. They're your children. They don't belong to the school system. They don't belong to the government or the little village. It belongs to you. Welcome to another episode of Raising Standards. And today we have all the way from the United States of America, a good friend of mine, a co-author of some of our books. Uh, it's Dr. Pastor, I think lots of other titles needed, Robert Slearden. Robert, hi and welcome. Good to be with you again. I, I would love to see you in person, but this is at least a good second. This Exactly. This is better than nothing, isn't it? Yes, um, yes. Robert, you have had such a tremendous ministry. I know the Lord's used you in lots of different ways. Um, I, I, could, I could distill it into a few things, but could you pull two or three strands of the main things the Lord's entrusted you, to you? Well, my call came when I was a little boy, when I was eight, when it came originally. And at 12, I got another commission to study the lives of what we call God's generals. And so those would be the, the, the fundamental of the call when I was a child and then obeying that. And then, you know, of course, I built churches, 127 countries. I mean, I, I got a list a mile long. So I, I jokingly say some people talk about Jesus. Some people sing about Jesus. I work for Jesus. I'm out there doing this stuff. So when I get called home, I'll be in some field plowing. And uh, that's the, how I want to live life. And, and that's what's been the greatest joy of my life is to do those kind of things that sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes there's no applause or there's no lights, camera action. It's just called doing the stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to do that. I'm blessed by my books. I've written 89 books now, and we've sold about 17 million. And you're part of that number now. And uh, so we're, we're happy. I know where I came from. I'm from a country family from North Carolina. So all the blessings and all the success is because Jesus did it, and, and I'm glad he chose me to do part of his work with. And you started ministry really young. It's like the Lord yes. prepared you from an early age. We're, we're really talking about how we can raise a generation to be ready. I, I, I mm. kind of think what used to take 30 years, we need to do in three now. Things are going yeah. crazy, maybe three months even. Things are going crazy <laughs> in the world around us, and we haven't got time to plod along yes. slowly. Would you mind telling us a bit about your upbringing and how the Lord prepared you so that you were right. you were ready to hit the road running when you okay. turned 17, 18? Well, I, I don't come from a perfect family. My parents were divorced when I was five and a half. My sister was four. And uh, my mother asked my grandmother to move from North Carolina to Tulsa, where we were living, while she was attending and finishing her education at Oral University. And uh, mom and grandma were uh, strong uh, spirit-filled, or what you call them, classical Pentecostal people. And so we grew up uh, thinking and accepting that Jesus was a member of our family there all the time. That's the way we were taught. Mm -hmm. And we prayed every night about 7, 7.30. I'm sure we missed a night or two, but I don't remember those nights we missed. I remember we prayed, and you know, if we were watching our favorite TV show, it had to go off. We were outside playing baseball with our friends. We had to come in. So that's how I remember growing up. And we would pray uh, in our front room. And there was four of us. So we were a kneeling family. So mom and, and I would be next to mom or next to grandma, my sister there. And they would tell us that we'd have to pray. They begin with about five minutes, pray five minutes. And they'd help us pray five minutes, two minutes in English or two and a half minutes in English, two and a half minutes in tongues. And then we move it to, you know, eight minutes, 10 minutes. So the time we hit 15, we could pray a couple hours and not think anything about it because yeah. we built that up over. And they had certain rules during prayer time that we had to pray loud enough for our own ears to hear a voice. And we had to pray our time allotted. If not, when they got done an hour later, we had to go back and do our prayer time again. 
and they kept the rule. See, to me, that's called training. They didn't tell you to pray or they just sit and watch. They got us involved mm. and, uh, and made it normal. So I thought this is the way every Christian home worked until I started traveling as a teenage preacher. And I realized people don't do this. And yeah. then I realized how special and blessed I was to be in a family that lived what they believed and did what they said. And uh, we, we were that kind of people. And so I grew up like that. And so they took us to church. I mean, we were churchgoers. It's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's the way church was in those days. And if there was a camp meeting or a special, we were there too. And so we were church people. I had friends in the church. And I had some friends in the public school, but I mainly had my close church friends is, is the way I think my family wanted it. And that's the way they helped it. Uh, they weren't against the other, but they wanted this to be dominant. And so we were raised also about what we watch on media. In those days, it was movies and radio and TV. Uh, today, it's five million other things you can go to. So they made sure that we didn't listen to the wrong music. Uh, they didn't allow us to go to certain kinds of movies or watch certain kinds of things on TV. And so we were trained like that. So that as a young child growing up, those negative things did not have access to enter our thoughts or our, our moral cavities, those kind of things. And so uh, we were very much trained. We had to read our Bibles. We, we, this, is, this is so true. If you think I'm telling a joke, but we would do our schoolwork. There was three of us doing schoolwork. Mom was earning her master's and doctorate. Priscilla and I had schoolwork. So we all three did homework at night. And a part of our homework was memorization of Bible verses. So we had little index cards with either the scripture or the scripture reference, and we had to be able to go. So they taught us the Bible like that, and we had to read four chapters of the Bible every day so we could finish it in a year. And we had to give a report what we read at at least four things we remembered, or you had to read it again. So that's how I grew up, and it was not abuse. It was called training, and it was called a lifestyle, and, it, and they did it as well as we all did it. So it was not just the kids do this and mom and dad doesn't. It was how we functioned as a family. Yeah, I mean, some of what you're saying flies right in the face of modern parent raising, which is kind of let the child have the say of what they want to do. They're at the forefront of it all. Um, but your two things you, I want to pick up on. One is your parents modeled it. They didn't just say, you must yeah. do this. Um, but the second thing, how did, you, how did you feel? Were you like, hooray, I get to do this every day? Or were there days where you're like, what? why am I having well, to do this? I guess I'm asking I this because some parents will be thinking, I'd love to do this for my kids, but how will they respond? What if? What if this causes no. them to rebel against it? Well, if it's a lifestyle of the family and mom and dad do it, and you struggle when they're young. I, I, they started when I was young. They didn't have me pray an hour and read four chapters and I got old enough to do that. But they would tell me Bible stories and they would pray with us and we'd follow them that we repeat prayers after, until we learned how to pray ourselves. Hmm. And so we grew up, I grew up never feeling like I was um, abused or controlled in a wrong way. I felt like it being a benefit. I had a strength in me where I was the peer causing the pressure, not the other way around. Yeah. And uh, so I had enough inner conviction by the time I was in junior high school and high school that I could stand alone and not feel like I was left out. Not everybody's like, but I was trained that way from, you know, how to walk with God. There's a price sometimes. Some people don't, you know, agree. So we'd gone through those things. And so when I came to have to do that alone, I was ready to do it. And uh, so, but the other thing I mentioned is they got my spirit to be older than my head and my body. And when your spirit is older and stronger, it can control the thought and the behavioral issues of a child or a teenager better. 
Uh, that's why we have, I've been wanting to write a general's book on child preachers. Mm. Uh, because in the early 1900s, there was hundreds of them in North America, probably in England too, that they were 12, 13, 14 years old. One girl was 14 years old and packed out Madison Square Garden for 14 weeks and built churches that are still existing today, a child. Yes. So we think, well, where's all the child preachers at? We see a few of them show up and they're mainly actor children. They know how to memorize a sermon and act like a preacher. And God bless them. I'm not trying to be mean, but that was not what I'm talking about. It was an authentic flow mm -hmm. because they had grown up spiritually. In those days, Christian discipline was in the home. It was in the church. It was in society. So the whole society placed a demand of a certain type of character and morality and behavior. And today we don't have any of that. So that's why it's hard for our children to grow up. So we're going to have to do it at home, yeah. at home and then the church. Hopefully the church will help because society has gone nuts. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very concerned about what's happening in both of our countries. Yeah. Can we, can we begin to unpack some of that? Because it feels like we are sending children to the lion's den when. Yeah, uh, I, in, I mean, in a Rolls Royce car. Yeah. We're, we're, it's like, hello, folks. The thing that I'm, I'm from the state of Florida. Our governor, DeSantis, is a very popular man because he keeps bucking so much of the woke culture. I jokingly say, I don't need to be woke. I've been quickened. So I'm glad to be quickened in Christ Jesus. So, But over here, um, they passed a, a law where uh, in the state where you couldn't teach a kindergartner or preschooler up into the third grade about sexuality of any kind. Mm. And that caused a huge ruckus. And then people like, well, you're against gay people. You're against trans. That wasn't what the law was. The law was there'll be no sexual uh, indoctrination or teaching from this age group to this age group, which was age appropriate. And yeah. the society went crazy. And so that's when I got mad and canceled my Disney programs. Yeah. I said, you people are nuts. I'm not going to give you any money. And I'm not going to your movies because I'm not going to support that kind of stuff. But that's what's happening in our, in our cultures that uh, this woke culture, and it is, a, to me, in Christian terms, it is a demonic principality attack to destroy our children and the future leaders of Christianity and of society. Yeah. So have them so deranged that they can't figure out what they are. The most common thing you can figure out is what gender you are. You just look down and you know, it's not that difficult. So, but today, the little kids will go to school or teenagers are like, today I feel like a girl, today I feel like a guy, today I don't feel like anything. Well, you know, feelings are fickle, especially in children. Yeah. And so mom and dad have to be the consistent voice of stability, soundness, and common sense. You know, society does not want parents to be parents. They want to influence their children. Here in America, what made the school system mad with COVID was they did not have access to the kids and the parents did. And that caused a wake up in America. Like, what are you teaching our children? So one of the good things out of a bad thing was the American parent started hearing and seeing what the public school was doing, and they reacted. And so society, the, the woke society, does not want you to be a parent. They don't want you to tell a child, oh, let me say it like this, you are parents, and God gave you those children. They look like you. They act like you. They're your children. They don't belong to the school system. They don't belong to the government or the little village. It belongs to you. And it's up to mom and dad to tell a little boy what a little boy is and what a little boy does when he becomes a man. Same thing is true for a little girl when she becomes a woman and what a woman does. Mm -hmm. It is up to mom and dad to do that. So mm -hmm. please 
do the basics of parenting. Help build the identity of who they are, their gender identity, who they are in Christ, who they are in your family, who they are in society, and build that in them early because if not, some weird thing will take the place of that parental voice and hand that needs to be us. And may I also say, it's good to have grandparents involved. Yeah. It's good to have extended family involved. You know, our aunts and uncles, we lived 1,200 miles away from them, so we didn't grow up or up with my cousins and stuff, but I wish I would have. But we had, um, to raise of children does not take a village, it takes a family. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, brothers and sisters, cousins, all of that works together to build the stability. And we got to build our families back and start learning how to get along and learn how to work together and learn how to listen to each other and quit being like woke crazy TV culture. So that <laughs> I, 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 yeah, to, this totally, I, I think this is right, the very cutting edge of what is happening. And the enemy seems to be working so hard to teach our children how to respond emotionally to everything rather than using reason and scriptural principles and a biblical worldview okay. um, to divide generations from each other. We're seeing the, this all over the place, aren't we? There, there's a massive division. It's like yeah. walls being put up um, there. And also to make parents so busy that they don't have time. They just yes. don't have time even to, hardly to cook a meal, um, stretch doing two, three jobs, especially with some of the financial situation. Now that's piling on the pressure. <laughs> I, I wonder if you can cut right to the heart of this and, and maybe just highlight that you've started already. This is this is a demonic agenda against our children. Yeah. Well, I, I really feel like we're we're in the last days for sure. I don't think there's yeah. any question about the last days, and we're in the last moments of it. And so yeah. what I think is happening is darkness is becoming gross darkness, mm -hmm. and the light of God is going to shine brighter. But we that are in this world have to realize we're in it. And yeah. when you're in the world but not of it, when you're in the world, you see the stuff. You hear it and you feel it, but we respond differently to it. That's why we're the oddity in society, because we respond and train our children and do life different than the others. And so we cannot be afraid of that. So we're living in a time where we, we are frustrated and we need to start seeing how to have an end-time lifestyle and end-time families and training our children how to live in the last days and be who they're supposed to be in the last days and be that in the workplace, in the colleges, and, and that it comes from the home. So the mm -hmm. devil wants to make sure that he, when he destroys somebody, I've noticed in biblical history and world history, he comes after them in their sexuality, mm -hmm. comes after them with money management problems and the lack of true, honest communications that'll cause gaps so things don't work right. And we're seeing that come right down into our children at a young age now. We're dealing with sexuality. We're dealing with the money to have time with our kids and do things with them, as well as we don't talk. I go to people's homes and their kids sit in the room on their phones the whole time and won't even say hi to me as a guest. Wow. And the parents would not, they allow it. Mm -hmm. Now, I know yourself or me, we would say, hey, hey, say hello. We'd make yeah. the children do what they're supposed to do. But I've been in homes, famous homes, and the kids and teenagers are so locked into that world. Now, I don't know what scientific uh, research has, but to me, if you live your whole world on a computer and on a phone, there is going to be some mental and behavioral disorders. Hmm. And that's going to come into society. I sometimes wonder if all the behavioral issues of today have not started becoming more exasperated or more noticeable because of these elements. So kids need to go out and play. Kids need to go play physical things and get along and, and learn how to socialize. And they cannot do it on the phone or on the computer. 
how, how would you recommend if uh, parents are listening, they're going, oh, you're describing my family. <laughs> ah, uh, what do I do if I take it off? My child shouts at me, my teenager gets, uh, you know, a bit upset. Yeah, if you so permit your child to act that way, that's why they do that. I mean, we, if we ever raised our voice as a kid, we got prayed for and our butts were also spanked. So we got both physical and spiritual together and it does work. So I'm not saying abuse because that's all the way people here spanking today is all abuse, but it's enough to cause a little pain to make a memory. Don't do that. That's what it's about. And so I, I would say one, you may not be able to jump dramatically into it like overnight, but you can start doing gradual things. That way it's not a whole boom, uh, unless the personality of the child demands that there's sometimes different personalities but I would say you should sit down a plan, you and your husband, sit down and get a plan, pray about it, and then sit down a, a timetable. We're going to start doing this, and then we'll do this in this month, and then start moving them toward it so it becomes a slow part of their life. And, uh, you know, today's children think, if I don't get my way, I'm abused. Yeah. And that is, <laughs> that has got to be fixed. They have to learn how to, you know, you do something wrong, there needs to be a consequence. You do something right, there should be an affirmation of some kind. If, if it's nothing more than a a hug or a, a good word looking in their eyes. So I would say it that way. And then I would also try to put them in social environments of children with whose families you agree with or you like, so that that thing has a certain type of social support. Hmm. Uh, my family, uh, when I was younger, they they watched over who I ran around with and they gave me their thoughts on who, what, when, and how. And so that was good. And sometimes you have to rely on the gifts of the spirit to discern situations, to discern people. Discernment is not judging. It's reading what's there. And with that information, you make the right decision about your life or your parental decisions. So, so well, I don't want to judge. Well, discernment is you're reading the label. Their action says this is what they are. Their yeah. actions say this is what they do. You know, so if somebody keeps lying, they are a liar. If somebody keeps stealing, they are a thief. So I'm not judging you. I'm just discerning and reading your lifestyle that tells me what's going on. Mm. So I would say, you know, create environments for them to jump to when they're in college. I'll make this comment. I know we usually do with smaller children, but we lose sometimes uh, when they get to out of high school or they enter university, we don't pick the right school for them to go to. I would suggest you're going to pay one way or the other. Send them to a spirit-filled school would be your first choice. If you can find like Oral Roberts University here in America, there's a series of God schools. They are highly accredited, excellent education, respected in the educational world. And you have a Christian base of spirit-filled lifestyle and teaching. Now, they're not perfect, but they are better than the non-Christian ones. Hmm. So if you can't go through a spirit-filled one, then get another good Christian one, the best number two or number three. Uh, just don't send them to wherever they want to go because you're going to have a child come back home that you're not going to relate to. Mm. And so I would say, you know, uh, when Abraham was old and his son was time for him to get married, he went and helped pick out the child or to help yeah. pick out the girl. Good. Go down to this, my tribe, my sir, and go find this girl and bring him back because my son cannot marry the idiots we're living around. And so that shows us that even into the parental, the dating, and that we need to, I know we can't control, but we need to be a part of that process. So we help them with education. We help them with who they say I do with. Mm -hmm. We need to keep that. It changes as they grow older, but you're still there. 
And so I think it's important that we think through that because we lose some of our kids when we send them to the wrong university. I'd rather have them go to a vocational school or a two-year college school locally where I can keep that environment while they're still forming into their last stages of adulthood. Yeah, there's, a, saying, there's a saying, if you um, send your children to Caesar to be educated, don't be surprised if they come back as Romans. Very good point. Amen. Yeah. I want to come back as Christians that love God and do right and, and have good families. Yeah, yeah. And there's plenty of battles for them to face, even in the most sanctified of spaces yep. at the moment in our nation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not so like we're oversheltering them from these things. There's plenty Lord, of no. that around. Where yeah. we're just giving them a little bit of break, you know, from some of the stuff. Yeah. Now, Robert, earlier on, you used a phrase, you said, um, we've got to raise end time families. What does an end time family look like that may be different <laughs> to families from two, three hundred generations ago? What, what's the extra that makes this we're well, really I, getting I ready think, for these last days? Yeah, I think one is recognizing we're going to live at a time of gross darkness. And because we're in the world and not of it, sometimes Christians think, well, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm not going to see them. No, you're, you're going to see it. You're going to hear it and you're going to feel it. But we respond to it differently. And so being an end time family is teaching your children, and yourself as a family unit, how to respond to, like I said, the woke culture, the sexual identity. I was in Canada the other day doing a conference. They have 62 ways a person can identify their sexual identity. 62. I had to print out, and I was trying to read them. I could only understand four of them, and I lost the rest of them. So that is gross darkness, folks, and that is just starting. Now, we're dealing with the trans issue here in the States. I'm, I'm sure it's happening there in England and Europe. Yeah. My question is, what's after that? Because we've opened Pandora's box and all of these little demons are flying free and getting names and recognition and cultural, you know, courtesies when they should be counseled and delivered and not be. So I would say, go back to the question is, understand that we live in a time when there's gross darkness, but great light. Yeah. So let's be in the light and let's be a part of answering some of the ones in the darkness that wants out or is confused, because I think there are many British and many Americans that are not saved, but they're nice people. They're overall good people, but they become victims of all of this. Mm. And they may need some Christian help, and they're more open to it than they used to be. So we have to learn that, that kind of thing. And uh, we cannot be moved by what we see or hear. I also believe an end-time family should find something they are involved in in their local community where they're helping through their church. Like I was doing my back porch chat this morning on Facebook and I was encouraging retired teachers, retired professors, retired principals. Can you get back involved and do after school educational programs or can you run for the school board and get on the school board and vote right things because you understand the system, you're a teacher. So there's a lot of things that we as end time families, we may think we're gonna retire but we're just going to change what we do. And I think that'd be a part of it as well. Third thing, and I'll give it fast, is we're going to have to be able to live by operating in spiritual laws. Because right now, like in our countries, the economics is going crazy. Our gasoline, our petrol, as you would call it over there, for us uh, here in Florida, it's almost $5. It's supposed to be $5 tomorrow. That's what they said in the news. California, it's $7 a gallon. New York, there's a place where it's $10. Now for us, that's crazy. Yeah. And so you got food problems. Everything's going up. It's, it's, it's not good. But we live in the kingdom. We see this. We feel this. We deal with this. 
So what spiritual laws, what spiritual things should we be doing as a family to counteract that negative impact upon us? And so to me, one, are you tithing and sowing? I know it's not logical, but it's scriptural. Uh, you know, with your know, sickness and disease, how are you taking care of yourself with healing scriptures and keeping the faith high on those things? So we have to learn how to do those things as a part of our daily life as an end-time family, or all this stuff will come in on and fear will grip you. Like, I quit watching the news more than 10 minutes a day because by the time I get through an hour, I'm depressed and praying for the rapture. So it's, it's not what I need to do. So you have to watch what comes at you in the last days. Wow. So being watchful watch yep. in these days watch we'll see jesus returning but watch for what's going on in the world yep. around so we're going to raise end time families we we've written together a series of books um and yes. this is part of your mandate really i feel like i've piggybacked on the back of it but it's right in line with my calling as well to see a yep. generation raised up who will stand strong and live loud for the lord uh, do you want to talk a bit about those books what, why you wanted to write them what yes. impact you see they're having on children yeah, so the uh, God's Journals for Kids is the book, the 12 books we wrote. We need to do some more, and uh, they're on my desk, so I've got, I'm working through the, the, the stack. Um, we, uh, I wrote the journals books for adults, and they did very well. And what provoked me to begin to consider a child's book, because I was in with some children, and they were talking about Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Batman, all those superhero stuff, and I like some of those guys, so I'll just confess I like, you know, Batman and some of these guys, but... That's all they were talking about. And I'm thinking they need to know some really true heroes or supernatural yeah. kind of marvelous acts like, you know, Wigglesworth or a Kuhlman. And that's how that began to kind of grow. And then I met with you and you had this word from the Lord. And I said, well, it works together. And uh, so we put them out. We had to struggle with our publisher some, but we, they seem to be taking off finally after a while. And uh, I'm going around the country here. And they're using the books in children's church, and they're using the books in private schools and, and uh, homeschooling. And to the point, I've started doing children's meetings, which I've never done in my life, because I don't think I have an Ollie personality for that. But they go in, and, and I talk about one of the generals. They've all been studied, so they I talk for a few minutes and give some points, and then I do questions and answers. And it's so funny. They all bring their books and want me to sign them. So I do an autograph thing and pray with them. And so it's it's become where I am now willing to do children's meetings, uh, just come in for the church to do the kids and uh, to talk to them, because those are our future leaders in the church and in society. Yeah. So I'm excited to see them. I, I got a little picture. I don't know if I've seen it to you, but I finally made it to the tree houses, little kids in the tree houses, reading, my, reading our books in the tree houses. So I thought we've gone all the way to the tree house. So we are, we're excited. We're glad that God blessed those books. And those were the first children's books written from the spirit-filled leadership. Yeah. We've had great children's books for John Wesley and Corey Tim Boone and all those wonderful people. There was none for the spirit-filled, and you and I did that. We're the first to do that. So uh, maybe we can do some more, and because and, the kids keep asking, who's next? Well, I need to talk to Ollie. So he wants to talk to <laughs> oh, we'd, we'd, we'd love that. I'm, I'm seeing that stirring faith in children. And that's what we need at this time is a generation full of faith, isn't it? If they're going to stand and confront some of these evils. Um, there's yeah. a, Psalm 127 speaks about children being arrows in the hands of the warrior. Well, that means you're about to fire it and you fire yeah. arrows towards your enemy. So we, we need to be releasing our children actively to come and undermine yeah. the works of darkness in this time. It's not just about helping them to survive, but we want them yeah. really to thrive in these days and to flourish. 
And I, I wonder, as you're seeing this generation, and you've seen quite a few generations of children grow up, I guess, along the way, are, are you seeing anything prophetically over this particular generation? Well, I think if they can tap into, uh, I'll use a historical perspective, yeah. that early 1900s child preacher time that I talked about, I think it's returning. And so I, I, I'm excited to see because the kids are, they're, they're, the ones that are in are in. I mean, you yeah. can tell it when you walk through the door, they are alive, they know the scriptures, they pray in tongues, they do the, so it's, it's a little bit more aggressive or more vibrant than I've seen in a long time. So I'm excited. The Lord gave me an impression a few years ago that the child preacher would return. There was two things going to happen. For America, one was we're going to become a mission field and people from around the world would come to America on mission trips to help us. Yeah. And that is happening and we need more of it. So everybody keep coming and helping us. And to the child preacher, the, the 10, 11, 12, and the young teenager will start preaching while they're young and carrying great responsibility. So I think that's what I see coming for them. And those books and good children's ministry and good children's ministry in the church helps assist the family. Mm-hmm. The church cannot do it alone. The books cannot do it alone. It comes with, we are supporting the family, yeah. supporting the parents. So that's the way it works. It's not the other way around. We got to get this right. And you're not that busy. You just don't know how to stop doing stuff that you don't need to do anymore. You just need to stop people. I'm tired. Well, let things from the past be gone and only stay with what is present and you'll have more time and energy. (laughs) Love it. Love it. And that's encouraging. You know, if God's given us our children, it's because he believes we have what it takes to help them become who it is. Now, I want to pick a little bit on the child preacher side of things, because I know there'll be some watching who will be feeling uncomfortable and going, is it right that a child should preach to adults? Is it right that a child should take on that responsibility? Isn't it that elders and Timothy are supposed to be ones who are established believers, husband of but one wife, and, and all those other things along the way? What, what would you say to that? Well, I'd say one, uh, in Acts 2, Peter talks about in the last days that young women and young boys are, will be active. So it's an end-time sign as well. So to have the attitude you just listed is anti-end-time prophecy that's being fulfilled. Two, we have young people in the Bible that were able to do certain things while they were considered outside of the age appropriate for that action. Christ himself was in the temple as a little boy, 12, conversing with the doctors and the PhDs and the master degree people of his day for several days, as the story tells us, and they were astonished at how he asked questions and what he knew. That can be a child today, too. So we also want to make sure that we do not judge people or know people by the flesh. Now, normally we say that when it comes to male-female, but I think it's going to be male-female and children. Just because they're younger, we have to relate to who they are in Christ and what age they are spiritually, which may be beyond the physical and the mental age that we assume. I was a child like that. I was a kid who could talk with Or Roberts or talk with great preachers when I was a kid. And because I was trained, my spirit grew, and, and, and I could do that. So children still have to be children, though. Uh, they still need to go play. They need to have an education. But if they have this ability and they have a true anointing, let the family, the church leadership, give them around it, judge it. And if it's real and authentic, then support it and help it. And not deny it or say, when you get older, because today is a day when the young child evangelist is returning to the pulpits and the stages of, of our countries. Oh, that's amazing. And can we take this a step further? You said you were able to talk with Oral Roberts. That meant Oral Roberts was willing to talk with you. Yeah. 
what is the kind of mandate on the older generation of preachers when it comes to the younger ones? Can we can we just leave that to the kind of child specialists and parents? What 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 should we be looking for? Well, I, I think the the older ministers or the seasoned ministers has to say, how do I want to affect the next generation? And a part of that is giving time, attention, and money toward the support and the help of the next generation. D.L. Moody, uh, one of our great generals from the Baptist world, uh, had, a, had a service in Chicago, and one man and a child got saved. And so the janitor was sweeping, and D.L. Moody was there locking up, and uh, he said, I didn't get many souls tonight. And uh, he, goes, uh, he goes, I got one and a half. And uh, the janitor goes, well, that, that's right. The man's half dead. The other one's got a whole life ahead of him. So it kind of turns. So the idea of changing that mindset has to be a part of that. And I'm going through that metamorphosis too. I'm used to big conferences, big churches, adult meetings. And I was invited to do a children's church service just this year and had a blast to where now it's a part of what I do. And so I think we have to make those kind of changes. Uh, maybe some people can't go into the children's church and talk, but you can talk to individuals around you or take some of your money and give it to those who are doing that and make sure you're supported that way. Hmm. How, how did you find it stepping into the children's ministry? As you say, you've preached to congregations of thousands all over the place. You're a gifted, accomplished preacher. The Lord's raised you up for this. And suddenly you're with a bunch of people who <laughs> have short attention around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I had, can't use big words. I have to use small words. I have to pick my stories that are entertaining for their group. And you don't talk for an hour. You talk for just a little bit. Then you got to change and you got to keep moving or you'll lose them. So, uh, you know, I'm about an hour with them in all the things that I do. And that seems to work for me and for them at this time. So I've had to learn how to work in that world and um, find common ground. And, uh, you know, I always tell a little bit about my kid's story and stuff like that. So it works, but they know the general, so we'll, we'll talk about them. So, yeah. And you, as a, a young boy growing up, you had a profound encounter with the Lord. I guess a lot of what we've been talking about are things that we as parents should be doing and praying and modeling and encouraging our children to be part of all of that and kind of putting up safeguards for them around the place. But ultimately, it was the Lord who encountered you. Yeah. Well, we, we, I think the Lord encounters our children more than mom and dad knows because the Lord speaks the language of your child. He speaks 7 billion languages perfectly. He speaks all of our internal languages, you know? And so when, it, when your child or a, a young child says, well, the angel came to me or the Lord said to me, we all, oh, that's nice. Well, just give it a little bit more respect because it probably is true because the Lord does come and encounter the children when they're little. And they don't know how to explain it in adult terms, and it sounds cute to us. But I had an eight-year-old experience uh, that changed my life forever, and it set me on a different course. Now, I didn't talk about that particular thing for many years because I didn't want to talk about it. But it came when I was a child. So I, when I'm with children, they start talking like that, and they're using their little terms, and they're all the little fun faces they do, and they'll say little things that sometimes don't always make scriptural sense. But they're eight years old. They're, they're 11 years old. So I always respect that. I, I, in my mind, I say that it's real. And, uh, and then they're just learning how to talk about it. So I'm sure some of it's not real, but I'm not going to give a disrespect to any of it. I'm going to give some type of honor and, and listening to, to them. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? That our children know, know we're listening to them. Yeah. And, I, and I think some of that validates for those who've had a genuine experience. 
it validates this is normal to live with Jesus. This yeah, is this what normal life looks like. Yeah. The rest of it is I agree. is odd and strange and off to one side along the way. I, I wonder if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about the role of grandparents in all of this. You touched on your grandmother's role in your life, and I think um, grandparents' generation are ones who've grown up in a, a more Christian worldview of society. I guess we'll say, yeah. how, how can we? If we are a grandparent, how can we pour into our grandchildren? There's a generational divide. There's a cultural divide. There are so many things opposing that. But but I, I mean, I guess my starting message is grandparents don't don't switch off to your grandchildren. Yeah. They need you not less because they're divided, but more than ever before. Yeah, yeah. I think grandparents is an extension, a proper extension of the parent. Uh, and the grandparents, I think, are important. Uh, sometimes because both parents are working, the grandparents kind of supplements the time with the right type of influence. And that's where you can build relationship because some grandparents don't talk to their grandkids. They don't go fishing. They don't, they don't do things together. So there's no bonding. So I would say, if you haven't done that, start it slow and gradually move into it. So it's not a shock, but uh, I think most kids respond to love and attention and if you'll do things like that, it'll come alive. Uh, take them to church with you. Take them on a missions trip. I told the grandparents here, like, you know, instead of waiting for them to come for summer vacation and, you know, and, you know, cookies and milk from grandmother, why don't you all do a missions trip and go feed the poor or go, go down to the food bank and hand off, go do things that are exciting, that are different, that are Christian and are, are ministry-like. There would be ways to do things and be creative, uh, plus all the fun stuff. So I, that's how I would say for them to be. Yeah, brilliant. Love it. And Roberts, I've got one more kind of direction, just pulling back from where we first started, where you, you hit through a whole load of the woke agenda and kind of smashed everything in every way. I, can we just think a little bit about education of our children? I'm talking about their academic rather than their spiritual education. Mm -hmm. And obviously the, the two are intertwined, whether we like it or not. Um, first of all, your thoughts on home educating versus the school system within the states. And then if your children are in the school system, I'd love you to just talk a little bit about how we can go into that with our eyes open and what kind, yeah. of, what, what kind of ways we need to protect and help our children, what questions maybe we need to be asking of the school mm -hmm. leadership. Yeah. I would say one, private education, they would be priority. I know everybody can't do that. So homeschooling has become huge in America because of COVID and the wow, they realize. So it's expanded enough to where the public school and the teacher federations here in, in America are mad and want Biden, President Biden, to close down charter schools and Christian. They, they want to they want the kids. So if you if you can do homeschooling, that may be a thing for uh, mom and and grandparents to be a part of their education. And, and you know, one grandparent teaches this one. There's a way to be creative in the family to do that. Um, if your children in public school, number one, don't be afraid, but be aware. Uh, I think you have to be aware and you need to look at their textbooks, uh, go down to the teacher parent meetings and all the associations they have and participate, listen, ask questions, and don't be afraid to be the irritant parent in the room that makes everybody mad or nervous if you have to do something like that. And because if you don't stand up and say something, it continues. Mm -hmm. When good men say nothing, evil triumphs, as one of our founding fathers said. And so we're going to have to stand up and do that uh, and teach your child how to how to say no and how, how to stand. Thank you, Roberts. Amazing. 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 I, I wonder if um, 
you can touch on one more area for us. I know for some parents listening, they will recognize maybe the kind of child preacher call on their children's life. Maybe they'll recognize that the Lord has, has put something different on one of their children. Um, I, I, I guess we don't want to suddenly make it all about that child's call. We want to make it all about the Lord. How do we balance mm. nurturing that call whilst also nurturing the relationship with the Lord? You want, or to raise a great, yeah, you want to raise a great Christian where you have a great pastor, or a great yeah. preacher. And being a Christian, like I'm a Christian, whether I'm a preacher or not, because I have accepted Christ first. So I am a Christian. So whether I ever preach again or not, I stay Christian because that's what I am. That's what I was trained in. That's what I've accepted. So I think developing that character, keeping that a priority that we want a great Christian man, a great Christian woman that may be a doctor or one may have a call to ministry. And so you got to make sure my mother made sure that we had the best natural life alongside our spirituality. We went to baseball games. We played in sports. We saw good movies. So we were a part of normal life as a Christian family. So we were not deprived from going to the school dance, or we weren't deprived from going to the, you know, the basketball game or the football game. We went to all that stuff with our friends. We were participating. So I think doing that together as a Christian makes people know that you can be this and still have fun. I think it's important that we tell parents and our children what you can do as a Christian more than always focusing on what you can't do. Because we're really good on the don'ts. How about the do's? And that may be an interesting place for us to preach sometime. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's definitely a series in there, I would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> this is the liberty of Christian freedom and good. It's good life. It's good to live for the Lord along the way. Um, Roberts, we've kind of we've scattered in lots of different directions, I'm aware. But I think that is a reflection of how overwhelming it can be for parents living in this world today, that there are just it's almost like a dam with 20 different little holes leaking through it. It's, which one do I stop yeah. first and how do I begin? But you centered this right on the Lord being at the center. Can you just share with us something for families? And I know you've ministered to many who are not mother and father at home. Uh, maybe it's the parent on their own, or maybe there is an abusive partner in the home and uh, where, where it's not the peaceful, loving as it should be, mm. perfect family, which, by the way, doesn't exist. <laughs> Even the ones that look perfect on Facebook or Instagram, yeah. they're not perfect in real life because there's sin in all of us. But I guess there'll be some who just feel like they're falling apart at the seams and the thought of even beginning to pull in and, and, and sow into their children spiritually is, is much further away than how am I going to survive and protect? I think one of the great unsung heroes of society is the single parent or the single mom. And they don't get enough recognition, sometimes enough support for what they do because they have to both be the husband and the dad and the mom. And that kind of, it's, it's, that's what my mom went to. Thank God for grandma that helped us. But that was part of the challenge. Mm. So I, I, my advice would be, if you're overwhelmed, is there family or is there some friends you could reach out to? Mm. Because sometimes the overwhelming is a seasonal thing, not a lifestyle. And when you're in a seasonal thing, it feels like it's going to go on forever. But sometimes reaching to somebody that understands a good friend or a quality family member and say, listen, I am overwhelmed. I need some help or I need some advice. That really does a lot for people because sometimes people will come and help you. They'll, they'll, they'll get involved for a season. Now they can't do it for life. But they can do it for a season and help. And that'll give you a break. Uh, I think that's important that we do. And sometimes you can't do what all the other families do. You do what your family should do. I think sometimes the Smiths are trying to outdo the Joneses. And even in single parenting, uh, we're trying to do all that. And you can only do what you can do. 
and do what you do, but do it well. Mm-hmm. And do not feel guilty on the others. And just ask God to make up that for your family and for yourself. Uh, I think he'll help with do that. So I would, I would do it those ways. And uh, the single parent today uh, has more respect than they have when I was a little boy. Because when my parents were divorced, we got the left foot of fellowship, we'd say in Christian circles. Mm-hmm. They liked us, but we were over there. And uh, so um, that's a lot different. That we're a lot better taking about that. Now, if you're in an abusive home, then you need to get out of it, or you need to get that abuse settled. Uh, God does not require a person to live under consistent uh, verbal and physical abuse. Uh, you can get out. Society says you can get out, and the church should be standing and saying, if we can't get this change, we want you out. When I was pastoring in California, we had several cases like that. And I was able to, I had the resources to be able to provide for them and say, all right, we're coming today to get you and your children, get your papers, get yourself, and you're coming out of that place. You're not going to sit there. This one guy was punching his wife and had two twin blonde girls, beautiful, mm-hmm. and they were black and blue. He'd kick them and hit them and punch them. And, and I said, no. And so the husband got mad and accused me, you're pro-divorce. I said, no, I'm anti-abuse. And so um, I think if you're in that situation, if you can, get yourself out and your children out or stop that person from being inside that home until they can truly change. And if they cannot change, my advice is you must let them go. Mm. And uh, as much as I hate what I just said, sometimes when people will not change their ways or their heart, then you do not required by scripture, I believe, to stay in that abusive situation. Mm. How's that for last two comments? (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Robert. Thank you. It's so clear. And I think sometimes it's that clarity that's lacking um, Mm. today in raising families. So so you've spoken right into it. It's one of the things I love about you, Robert. You don't mince your words straight to the heart of things. Um, We're we're pretty much at the end of our time together. I wonder before we close, and I'd love you to pray for us all before we end. I wonder Mm. if you've got a couple of stories of children being used by the Lord in revivals past or perhaps of uh, some of the generals you've spoken about, of their childhood experiences with the Lord, just to encourage us that actually God is working with the children. He is stirring faith, and uh, we should be expecting for what he wants to do with our children. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's stories from the generals where a lot of the generals started preaching as teenagers, and they were doing things when they were little, like five, ten years old. You know, the, the Azusa Street Revival, for example, The kids were active in the revival. They weren't just off on the side. They were actually in the main auditorium or the main building. So the children were allowed to get up and sing and get up and speak. So in Azusa Street, you had black, white, male, female, and kids all working in that revival. And so that's how God works. When God is moving and there's a revival, there is no gender conflicts. There is no uh, racial conflicts. And there is no age conflicts. It all works. So I think we're going to see more of that, especially in these churches who are becoming revival churches. The acceleration of children in those churches is more noticeable than in others. It's just like, there it is. So I see it coming, and and I'm excited about it. Yes, we need revival churches, revival homes. Um, Roberts, can you pray that for us? Revival communities. Yes, Father, we thank you for our talk here today. Father, I thank you that you hear my request on behalf of them that are watching that you will give each parent a fresh end-time anointing that'll break the barriers and make a path in our time. Father, we need new anointing to fit the day that we're in, to fit the hour that we're in, and we ask for that fresh oil to come over us as parents and as Christians. 
Let new joy come. We thank you that we stand in the light and we don't stand in the darkness. And I pray that your children will hear your voice, hear the Lord's voice, and respond with an open heart. We thank you, God, that you'll put the right people in their life and their children's life. And I pray today that the wrong people will get out of your life and get out of your children's life. I pray that today in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen, amen. Roberts, thank you so much for giving your busy time to us and just sharing these things. Uh, we really, really, really appreciate you. And do get Roberts' books, look in the description. And uh, we've got links to his websites and everything there. All right. And Good to be with you, Ollie. Yeah. And to you guys, thank you for listening in. If you want to hear more conversations like this, don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell. We'll see you next time. Bye.